The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. Imagine, you know, an Argentinian guy coming uh, to tell you that, you know, law is going to change and yeah, it's going to be done in blockchain and it's going to work completely differently than what you know. People didn't believe it, of course, but you know, uh, there's one thing that I, Colin Rule once told me, he mentioned this this uh, sentence uh, quote by I think it was Gandhi but I don't, I don't know if it's really Gandhi but people typically say it's Gandhi first they laugh at you then they ignore you then they fight you and then you win hey hey all welcome to this week's podcast I'm really looking forward to it there's a ton that we're going to go over but I want to set the context for what we're about to get into so now you get to hear about what I get to do day to day. Um, so aside from these fantastic podcasts, which I know that you enjoy hearing, <clears throat> hopefully, what I do my, in my normal day to day work is talk with and work with leaders across the legal industry surrounding technology and how it impacts both the business and the practice of law. Simple as that, right? But what's so incredible is that I get the opportunity to sit down with people across the spectrum. So we're talking about the biggest of big law firms to the smallest firms, corporations, government agencies, and then the people, the people at these organizations. So the CIOs, the managing partners, the librarians, marketing people, lawyers, attorneys, all of those individuals, right? Then we go deep. We go deep on technology. How does it work? What's not working? And everything in between. So ultimately we're talking about sharing ideas, brainstorming, getting feedback for what's missing in the space, what we can do to change it for the better. One important aspect about all this stuff for me, and this is like my own little lens, is that I like to get outside of this walled garden that we have in legal. It's a bit of an echo chamber, and I don't mean any disrespect, but sometimes we get lost in this, this garden, Garden of Eden, where you're like, oh, everything's great, or we can fix it by this, this, and this, so what I try to do is step outside of that. So I go to FinTech, I go to the biotech companies, I work with startups. And in fact, I work with uh, startups at the Columbia University IBM Accelerator to sit down and talk about how technology is being used, implemented and leveraged in other parts of things that are not even remotely connected to the legal industry in the hopes that we could take advantage of that, learn about it, and then bring that into the industry. So that's one part. The second part is getting the perspective. So I've been really fortunate, <laughs> I miss it, to be able to have traveled the world to, to talk with people in Australia or Switzerland or Costa Rica, maybe even the UAE, sit down with organizations in each one of those countries and say, okay, what is what are you seeing? What's working? What's not working? And then come up together with ideas in this space. So part of that is what leads into what we're gonna be talking about today. We're now talking about leveraging new technology to do something that is more progressive than pretty much anything I've seen recently in this particular space. So we're talking about Claros, which is an online dispute resolution provider. So you might say, I know ODR. It's, it's basically, you know, I'm providing online dispute resolution. This is done using cutting edge technology to help people get access to justice or simply resolve disputes that we wouldn't normally be able to do in as, as an effective, efficient manner, maybe a novel way. So we are talking with Federico Ast, 
who's founder and CEO of Claros, based in Argentina, where we get to hear the hustle and bustle of Buenos Aires below him, which is kind of neat in of itself. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I think you will absolutely get a blast out of it. It's really interesting. So thank you for joining us today. And now let's get started. The Hearing. Federico, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Joe. Thank you for having me. Oh, my goodness. No, we are honestly, we're really grateful to have you with us today. No question. And for context for everyone, we are spanning three continents right now, which I think is kind of cool. We have our, our producer extraordinaire, Kaylee Botting in London. I'm in D.C., Washington, D.C. And of course, Federico, you are in Argentina, which I have not yet been to. But my understanding, while it's about zero degrees Celsius here, and for those in the U.S. who haven't converted that, and that includes me, that means it's 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, how is summer going for you? Oh, it's like 30 degrees Celsius here, so it's hot, it's the summer, so we are out of the lockdown now. So yeah, it's, it's going well, you know, after after a very long lockdown, uh, life is kind of getting back to normal, whatever that means now. No kidding. No. So uh, you got to tell me, um, as I would say, back when I lived in Mexico for a little while, digame, how are things going with like... Uh, are you going out into the wineries now? Are you able to do that? Because it's like socially distant, it's further away from people, and you also have an amazing wine culture there. Yeah, well, now you can go out to, to bars, you can go out like anywhere. It's, you have proper social distancing to keep. Um, I was actually last week, I got to travel for the first time since a long time, and I went to Mendoza, which is the wine country in Argentina where we grow all the Malbec and uh, yeah, that's really, really fun. Um, so yeah, hopefully you, I guess this must be one of the few countries you, you don't know, Joe, and we're looking forward <laughs> for you to come and, and take you to some wine countries, to some wine tasting. I would love to be there. Honestly, it's like high on my list uh, when this whole thing is hopefully over in the next, who knows, six to eight to 10 months, who knows? So it's gonna, might be a little bit longer. But uh, yeah, and I started looking at it because Mendoza is fairly west uh, in the country, right? Close to Chile. Yeah, yeah, it's in the west, it's um, near the Andes, and uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Um, yeah, and I, 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 also I love the mountains, so that's, that's an awesome place to, to live, actually. Yeah, it looks stunning, and the pictures absolutely look stunning. And I think Malbec's one of my favorites, so <laughs> perfect marriage <laughs> of all of that together, no question. All right, so we definitely want to get into, um, very soon, uh, the story around Claros, what it does, what you all are working on in that space. But I really want to hear a little bit about your past, what eventually got you to the point of working with Claros, which is really progressive, very cool technology, an awesome idea. And we'll get into that. Yeah, I know. Um, so what is that path that you've taken so far? Like, where did you grow up and, and all of your education? I know your PhD. Um, how did it lead you to this direction around Claros? Well, uh, how long does the podcast last? <laughs> it's a long story. <laughs> I can, yeah, sure. I can, I can tell you a bit about me. And, you know, as, as Steve Jobs says in this like talk, um, he gave at the commencement speech at Stanford, uh, some, well, I think it's 2005. Um, yeah, you know, you start connecting the dots uh, when, you know, things start happening to you. And I kind of started connecting my own dots quite recently, actually. Um, so let me let me tell you a bit about my my story. I am from Buenos Aires. I um, a guy from a, I guess a middle class family in Buenos Aires. Um, 
uh, when I was a kid, um, a teenager, I wanted to be a writer. Uh, so I yeah, really liked uh, reading lots of science fiction. Maybe my my favorite author uh, is um, Jules Verne in science fiction, and they had this, um, uh, yeah, I guess a kind of a dreamer, uh, a dreamer in technology, because Jules Verne was kind of a, you would call him a singularity believer. Yeah, back, yes, back yeah, totally. Century, right? And so, uh, so I wanted to be a writer, and then I went to well, finish high school, and then I went to um, my uh, well uh, university. I studied economics, um, and you know, since I liked reading so much, and I liked uh, I, I liked philosophy. I, when I was uh, like a teenager, I read a lot of like I read Aristotle. I was reading like Plato, like not the usual, I guess. <laughs> you know, <laughs> things that the teenager reads, and uh, and so I well, I, I did like the two majors. Um, and when I was uh, um, studying, I was interested in, in different things. But you know, on the economic side, if you want, on like, how countries succeed or fail, I'm well um, from a country which <laughs> utterly failed, uh, which it was a very wealthy country in the early 20th century, and then it somehow managed to become like a. Uh, I guess a third world country uh, now, and you know this is a kind of a, a frustration that the country has. And um, uh, uh, so, and I was kind of interested in, in learning uh, why that happened and how could one prevent that. Um, and on the philosophy side, uh, I was interested in um, the like political philosophy, like how societies organize, how communities uh, self-govern, and how. Yeah, kind of uh, Hobbes and all the John Locke and uh, John Rawls and all that kind of uh, political philosophy of how you can make a society function, yeah, right? Um, and so that's what my, my academic background. Then I started working. Um, my uh, my early my first job was actually in the media. I used to work in a um, newspaper from Argentina called Clarín. Um, in the business section and the digital business internet section. So I basically started my, my career in the internet. Uh, and being very, very young, I, uh, because of some, like, I guess, <laughs> uh, randomness of, you know, how things happen in organizations, I ended up being the editor of a um, business website, kind of similar to what uh, Fast Company is. Uh, you know, sure. Innovation, okay. startups in, in Argentina. I was very, I was like, I think I was like 25 or something like that. And so I got connected to, to that world, um, to the world of innovation of startups. It was the time where we all had this fascination with Silicon Valley and Facebook and, you know, how these companies are transforming the world, uh, the digital economy coming. Um, so I, I, I worked on that uh, space. And then um, that's where I got first introduced um, to blockchain. Because it was, I think it was like 2012 or 2013. Oh, wow, early on. I know, early, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I first um, learned about blockchain very, quite early on because it was something that some communities of computer nerds started to, to, like, to study or, yeah, to at least to mention, right? And, uh, and I was interested in that because... Um, I I had this so I started to see in blockchain, you know, people were 
interested in the financial aspects, especially, you know, the, of course, cryptocurrencies are important and yeah, this is changing the world. But, you know, I was more looking into, okay, how can you use this technology for transforming governance, which kind of was in the middle of my, my two passions, you know, uh, you know, political philosophy and, and how can you use this technology to make an organization that in some way doesn't fail as Argentina has failed, right? And in particular, Argentinian startup communities and innovators, they, they were very early into blockchain because of the, the country history of high inflation, bad governance, corruption, all that. So if, if I got exposed to blockchain so early, it was because just because I am Argentinian and that was the, the thing that was being discussed, right? And there was already some people in Argentina who were working in decentralized governance. Uh, in particular, um, one guy called Santiago City, who was well, my friend now, and he was working on a project called Democracy Earth. Uh, it's how to use blockchain to make elections more transparent and yeah, wow. fight against you know fraud uh, and, and all that. But it was I started to, to see a, a different aspect. You know, there is also this very important part of the governance of a society of a community is justice system. How this community solves disputes and uh, Argentina was <laughs> very much failing at that um, because of high corruption in the judiciary. Um, there was in particular a very high-profile case um, where um, uh, it was a prosecutor who was like some say committed suicide, or some others said he killed himself, so uh, he was killed. Uh, so very, very like not transparent, you know, situation happening uh, in the judiciary in Argentina. And so I kind of started thinking, okay, well, like why? And this, not, this was not only in Argentina, this was around the world. Like I was like, my idea was, look, wh why is this working so badly? Uh, basically because all of these governance tools we have are built with um, a very old technology. You know, this is the judiciary is built with 18th century technology, right? Yeah. Um, and I was like, uh, interested, okay, this, the, what we have now as justice system or, or as a legal system in general, this is what some people in the 18th century like thought that would be a good way to resolve problems in a society, right? With what they knew and what with the, for the problems that they had back then. But why? How would we build this? Like now, this was like I guess like 2015, something like that. How would we build this with what we know now, with the technology we have now, and for the problems we have now, right? That was the the question I, I asked I asked myself when I started with this process that ended up becoming what, what now is, is Claros. And, um, and the main insight I had at that moment is um, like, uh, what, is, what is a court? Right? A court is um, basically, you know, a group of people who are going to analyze some data or some evidence and they're going to produce an output. And in order for this data to produce a good output, there needs to be a good process, right? Um, there needs to be like no tampering with the evidence. There needs to be no bribing. Uh, and so, so how can we use collective intelligence ideas that we started to, I guess, collect since the days of the, the early days of the web, you know, like Wikipedia, you know, 
collective intelligence, building an encyclopedia in a very different way to what, what was done before. Um, so how can we use these ideas but in the justice system, right? How can collective intelligence transform what we know now as courts and what this would look like and uh, what would the problems that this would solve? This is kind of a bit of an, of an archaeology of, of what Kleros, uh, yeah, of how I came up with the early ideas of what Kleros is now. Yeah. Man, that is, honestly, it's amazing to hear that story because it's the confluence of all these things in your past, so the philosophy background, the economics background, growing up, up up in Argentina. And when I was a little kid, I do remember reading stories about the hyperinflation and the corruption. And so that would definitely, I would think, affect you. And then you probably saw like what was going on with, uh, at that point, Bitcoin, and of course, the blockchain underlying technology. And the cyberpunks were basically trying to unearth new technology to make it so that it was not controlled by people in power that are potentially uh, tilting things in their favor or towards people that that uh, maybe shouldn't be taking control of things. But that transformation and the philosophy, even with Locke and Hobbes that you were talking about, very, really, really cool, honestly, um, at least personally, because <laughs> those are the types of things that I've always been fascinated with. Um, so what that comes around to is you're taking this new technology, so the blockchain technology, um, and you're compiling that and pulling it together and then laying it into the direction of this online dispute resolution. So can you give us a little background behind Kleros um, and what it does in the essence of what it's working on? Yeah, sure. So um, uh, Kleros is um, online dispute resolution system, uh, which is based on blockchain. It's built uh, as a decentralized organization on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, and why, why is this built on, on blockchain? You know, and this is important because people need to understand, you know, Kleros is not a company. It's, there is a company that builds Kleros, but Kleros is a protocol. Kleros is a set of rules that determine how a conflict should be resolved when it is to be resolved by Kleros. It's kind of an institution that no one can, that no one owns. It's a public good, right? So let's say, let me give you an example so uh, people can understand how this works. Let's say I I want to hire you, Joe. You are a website developer and you are in DC. I am in, in Buenos Aires and I want you to build a website for me. Um, and then, well, but we're far and uh, how, uh, what if there is a dispute then? No, I kind of, I ask you something and then you don't do it and, or you do something of not the quality I expected. So, um, and I'm not going to go to the US to sue you with a lawyer. I'm, I'm definitely not going to go to a arbitration lawyer to our, make a international arbitration process in Paris for like a $1,000 like website, right? So the the economy like is is becoming this you know this mesh of global interactions where borders they kind of start not to uh, matter that much as they used to so um how, how this works like like in Kleros, i can like we can make an agreement uh where i make a contract with you uh and I send them some money into an escrow account, a blockchain escrow. It's a smart contract. And then we agree that if there is a dispute in our contract, there's going to be a third party called Kleros that's going to uh, select a number of jurors who are going to analyze the, the case. You know, they're going to see what was our agreement. They're going to see what was the product that you delivered. And then based on the, this, they're going to decide, okay, um, 
uh, Joe is right or Federico is right. And depending on how they vote and how they decide, and each of the jurors decide independently, so they consider the evidence independently and they vote independently. And so depending on what the majority decides, the money which is in the escrow is going to be sent back to me or, or to you, depending on, on who wins. So um, this um, provides a very important service for, for an economy that is uh, becoming, uh, well, as I was saying, global, because now software contracts are, uh, across borders are um, very, very common. And because, you know, of how the economy evolved, um, kind of what we have as existing legal systems based on national jurisdictions, based on paper and paper contracts and, you know, and courts and physical places where people go. So that obviously doesn't work anymore. And then, so we we have this idea of blockchain, which enables on the one hand cryptocurrencies, which it's, this is very important. And this is something that we people who live in emerging economies, especially in emerging economies, which had a very, very bad history of you know financial problems like Argentina like for me making a payment to, to you in the US like if I want to do this through the traditional financial system through a bank it's very hard to do and there's lots of taxes and etc right it's, it's very hard to do and we don't like let, let me just tell you we don't have PayPal in Argentina no PayPal like imagine your life without PayPal but we do have crypto right so now I can make payments to you and you can make payments to me with the same ease as you make a payment to a guy in Boston, right? So this kind of set us in a equal footing in order to, to, to start to collaborate. No, email, all, the, the cost of an email from you to Boston, it was the same from you to Argentina. Or, well, now we also can transfer value uh, with the same cost, right? Yes. So um, Claros provides this like kind of underlying governance infrastructure to um, like support this new global economy because you can make payments but you still didn't have a way to resolve a dispute between people in different like jurisdictions uh, and Claros can like provide that infrastructure that was needed for like further developing this globalization of the digital economy where everyone can participate so that's kind of the gist of what Claros does it provides securing property rights uh, for for a global you know economy where everyone can participate. I, I totally I get the idea. It makes a lot of sense. So basically, um, I'm in agreement with you. So I'm the web developer um, in agreement with you. You want something built. Um, essentially, we both opt into this. And if there's a dispute, the money that um, we're disputing maybe goes onto the blockchain where it's uh, independent, almost um, autonomous organization that sort of holds on to it almost like an escrow account. So it's secure, it's safe, it's in the blockchain. We both know that it's there and it sits there until the judges, the juror, I'm sorry, the jury um, actually makes a decision. How do we know the jurors, like <clears throat> maybe in Argentina, uh, aren't corrupted in some way? <laughs> I mean that with respect, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's, a, that's a really good question. You know, uh, yeah, how do you know that jurors are not going to be bribed or whatever. So, because Claros is based on um, some economic incentives that makes agents uh, have a, a honest behavior. So, um, an interesting thing about blockchain, you know, Satoshi Nakamoto discovered a way in which, uh, with the proper mechanism design, you could have a number of anonymous computers where you know 
any, all of the computers want, are were selfish and wanted to make as much money as possible. Still, with the proper design of the mechanism of how the blockchain consensus works, it still can make them collaborate in, you know, in, in what, in the end results, uh, in a shared ledger that we can use as a monetary system, right? So, Kleros is based on the same idea. If you have a proper mechanism design, you can have a number of agents who uh, are going to adjudicate uh, disputes um, in Kleros, who are going to be the jurors, even if they may be devils, uh, still the mechanism design is going to make them behave in a way that will have Kleros produce the right output for the disputes it has to solve, right? Um, how, how does this work, right? So if you want to be a juror in Kleros, you have to get a token uh, called PNK, the ticker, the name comes from Pinakion. It's, it's, um, the name comes from the uh, bronze plate that ancient, you know, Greek citizens had to get in order to be drawn as jurors in the popular trials in, in Athens. Ah, I didn't know that. Okay. So there you go. Some of the, <laughs> some of the, you know, uh, ancient philosophy course of, the, of college coming back. <laughs> That's <laughs> you great. Know, this, this is uh, this is pretty interesting. Let me just comment on this a bit because you know the, the, the Greek has this interesting concept. You know, uh, any citizen has the right to be a judge in trials in the in the police, right? Uh, and but how could they make sure that there was no, um, you know, uh, tampering? And how can I make sure that Joe doesn't bring his friends to be in the trial against me and all that? Well, because they had a very sophisticated mechanism design based on random selection, uh, um, jurors in the Greek trials were randomly drawn uh, for, for, for trials. And so it was very hard for you, if you wanted to be a juror in your brother case, it was very hard for you to actually be able to be selected into the case that you wanted to be selected. Because there was a, a very complex system of like a random selection and another random selection instance it was very, very well designed. So they, they would not... Um, uh, yeah, get, you know, bribing or that. So Kleros is kind of loosely inspired in, in how that uh, system worked in the sense of if you want to be a juror, you need to buy this token. It's a cryptographic token. It's a, a, a currency, a virtual currency that gives you the right to be drawn as a juror in cases within Kleros. It's, it's kind of a lottery ticket that if you have one of these tokens, then you are drawn, you can be drawn as juror in the court where you will deposit your token. Kleros is a generic system that can resolve like lots of different use cases like uh, e-commerce, as we mentioned, can be used in finance, insurance, like, et cetera. So um, let's say you want to be a juror in e-commerce cases because you have expertise in e-commerce and you have to deposit your token into an e-commerce court. And then of all the people who deposit their token, the Kleros algorithm is going to draw like let's say five jurors, the, num the actual number can depend on the case. Uh, let's say it's five, and then these guys are going to have the right to analyze the evidence and then vote. And each of them has an incentive to vote as the majority. And um, because the, the question here is, how do you make these guys? Like, how do you make them work? Right? Because people are lazy, right? And uh, <laughs> each of them yeah. is going to yeah. collect um, a fee for the work they do. But how do you make anonymous people to 
like not vote randomly. Okay, I'm, I'm drawn as juror uh, A, B, A, B, A, A, and I don't care. I just vote randomly and don't even look at the evidence. Um, that wouldn't result in a good system, right? So Clero's mechanism design is based in the work of Thomas Schelling, who was a Nobel Prize in Economics 2005. Uh, because of his concept, um, he developed a concept called focal points. It's about how people um, make decisions when they have to coordinate with other use, with other agents, and they don't know how the others are going to vote. And they still have to... Uh, still to, to, to coordinate with a common place with the rest. For example, let's say um, that we are like in a theme park and then we just, I don't know, we, we, we don't know what, where the other is and we don't have the, our mobile phone for whatever reason. And then to, to, <laughs> to, to look where, to, to, to meet somewhere, we, where would you go? To the lost and found people's place, right? Uh, there's like a place where people know that they should go when they can't communicate. So that's okay. that's um, the shelling point of that situation, right? Um, so shelling was an expert in analyzing how these different systems worked, and this is the, the, the how it works in Claros. So if you put like five jurors, analyze the same evidence, and and under the incentive of each of the each one of them to try to vote like the majority, so they they will tend to gravitate towards the actual truth about the dispute at hand, right? They're going to see the evidence and they're going to see the, 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 the product and the contract and they say, okay, I don't know how the other guys are going to vote, but like I want to vote like the rest because if I vote differently from the rest, I lose my token that I deposited. And if I vote like the rest, I get uh, the token back and I get an arbitration fee. So I'm going to vote so let me just take a look at the evidence and make an honest work because the only way in which each of them can coordinate with the rest is just by like looking at the evidence and making an honest vote. That is the main mechanism design of what makes Clairos work. Um, it, it sounds a bit, well, it sounds not, it is pretty different from you know, what we are used to in smooth resolution. Uh, but you know, we have seen this working once and again and again. And people, when you put them into this good, into this proper mechanism design, even if they are like selfish and they just want to optimize their you know, financial gain, they tend to behave in a way that uh, results in a correct outcome for the dispute. And the fact of doing this with this different mechanism design also results in um, uh, you know, a much cheaper and much more efficient and much faster, um, you know, result than alternative methods. You know, what, what, what do we have now here? Like you have traditional ODR systems, which are like basically a mini trial over Zoom where you have an expert, well, right. a, a retreator uh, making a decision. So that's okay. That's obviously more efficient than uh, traditional, you know, hearings where you have to go to a place. Of course, this is cheaper, but it's, Kind of, you know, it's fifty percent cheaper, right? Because it's still under the same old paradigm. But the way in which Claros works with all of this collective intelligence game theory system makes it like ten x more efficient. So, and being ten x more efficient, it can actually solve problems uh, that it, they are impossible to solve for traditional methods. And that's that's why um, it's very important that. Uh, like, uh, all, all of this, you know, game theoretical system because it's so much more efficient 
and it kind of solves lots of different problems of the digital economy where you need a very yeah. inexpensive way. Oh, it's, it's definitely fascinating to hear about the game theory. I thought that's what you were describing all along. I was like, oh, is that the game theory that I've, that I've heard about and read about a little bit? Um, so it is, it's interesting to see where it's going. So I'm kind of curious where the rubber meets the road. Um, where do you see this starting to take off with organizations? Where are people most comfortable with it? And then where does it go from there? Like how broad and how big can this be either globally or in various countries? Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the case that people typically, well, that we typically pitch because it's kind of the easier to understand is um, the, the, the case of um, the, well, Alice and Bob and the, you know, website case, uh, because it's, well, it's easier to understand. But you know where Kleros is actually making the first, you know, uh, use cases and where it is actually working now? It's more in a use case for financial regulation. And in, this, in the following sense, now you have lots of different, you know, uh, projects making tokens, uh, cryptographic tokens, and these tokens, they, this project, they want to list tokens into decentralized exchanges, right? Like Uniswap or any other. So traditionally in exchanges, you have a team who is going to analyze the assets that are proposed and then they're going to decide, okay, does this asset comply with the, the you know, guidelines to be listed like at NASDAQ or at, you know, Binance or whatever uh, centralized, you know, exchange. So that, that's how it has always worked. But now we are moving to, into this world of you know, decentralized finance and, you know, Uniswap, they like don't have an owner, you know, they don't have a team that can make the decision of what tokens, you know, um, to list. So how can you like leverage the, the, the community um, wisdom in order to make the decision of which tokens uh, should be listed into, into the decentralized exchange, right? How can you yeah. produce a, a system to vet those tokens and prevent like scam tokens or fake tokens or whatever from being listed? And, you know, this is, uh, we have developed a way in which, you know, the Kledos jurors are kind of the, the listing, you know, uh, experts who are going to objectively analyze the submissions that project to make and decide whether um, the token that was submitted deserves or not to be accepted into the into the exchange. And in this way, uh, Kleros is already now producing a, a, a very valuable service for for securing uh, the, the decentralized finance ecosystem. So imagine uh, in a world where you will have like thousands of tokens being like developed every day. Uh, people wanting to sell those tokens into all kinds of markets. And so how can you make sure that this doesn't turn into like a scam world, like kind of the wild west? Uh, you know, how do you how how do you make sure that you have a system that can like have the bandwidth to pro, to, 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 to analyze all those like millions of tokens that are going to be created? Not just tokens, but also if you start adding NFTs, it can it becomes like even more, more complex, you know. So the, the use case that now has more traction is actually Kleros, if you want as a Greg tech uh, project, which uh, it leverages the community wisdom in order to vet tokens and make sure that those tokens that are accepted into the exchange comply with a number of, of guidelines, right? That makes so much sense. So just because I know there's maybe some people that are a little bit newer to, to this sort of terminology uh, that might be listening, um, there's... There's a whole host of things that are happening here. So one, 
Um, there's roughly 8,000 cryptocurrencies these days, and it's, it's going to exponentially grow over the next several years. You can go to two different locations of which um, Federico was just talking about. You can go to a centralized exchange. You can take your native currency, whatever it might be, the euro, um, dollar, whatever the case is, and you can exchange that for whatever cryptocurrency you want. Then the most popular thing that Federico, you were just talking about was uh, Uniswap. So there's these decentralized exchanges, which means that nobody runs the exchange. It's all smart contracts, which means that like, let's say you get a thousand people that show up to, at the exchange online through your browser. Um, you can exchange your token, uh, A token, for what Federico's selling me, his B token. And the machine figures out what the buy rate, the bid and the ask is so that you can actually match those two up and then it exchanges it automatically and then it secures it to your wallet. Very, very cool stuff. Um, and it lends itself to, to DeFi. You mentioned DeFi, um, decentralized finance, which is really interesting too. Um, so when you're talking about um, the decentralized exchanges, I could basically make up any cryptocurrency that I want, which I, <clears throat> I did maybe in 2017, but I did not sell them um, just for the heck of it. So I made a billion tokens, Joe tokens uh, in 2017. I still have them in my wallet. They just sit there, they haven't sold. But if I wanted to, and I was a, a criminal, <clears throat> I could take them over to this Uniswap, which is that decentralized exchange. I could load them up there and I could pretend that there's something else. And that's where the problems come, right? Uh, because if there's no way of determining whether they're real or not, or whatever the case is, someone could take advantage of another person. So it sounds like uh, what Claros is doing is they're sort of using wisdom. Of the, well, is it wisdom the crowds or just crowdsourcing um, to figure out whether or not some of this stuff is real? Yeah, so it's, it's leveraging, you know, the wisdom of the crowds in order to to make a due diligence process that is, was traditionally done by, by centralized exchanges. Um, let me just give you like an example, you know, um, this is working, this is not an idea, this is actually being used now. Um, there was this case um, of some project that, so I don't want to mention the name of the project, just in case for <laughs> liability, <laughs> but you know, there was a project, you know, um, um, and they submitted, they wanted to be listed, you know, and, and the they, they, they have a very nice website and they had a very nice, you know, everything was looked very, very nice. But, you know, um, when they made this submission in order to be listed into this uh, system, you know, for, for being accepted into the exchange, so, and Cleros jurors started in the vetting process. So um, some of them, you know, they, 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 they saw that some of the project, you know, the members, you know, the, the team members, uh, Kind of, you know, this guy is a CTO of a very important project, and then and we don't have any like, uh, you know, uh, talk by him in YouTube or not have any like any public presence of any source. So, and they started to to investigate a bit about this guy, and so it seems that the guy claimed that he was at the Oxford Blockchain Group, uh, and some someone from a juror that he called Oxford and hey, hello, I want to speak to Mr. X. Who is at the Oxford Blockchain Group, and like they are, they answered, oh, "Look, uh, we have never heard of this guy, and there is not really an Oxford Blockchain Group here, right?" And so that started to you know <laughs> to, 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 to light a number of, of red lights, and it ended up like being like a scam project, you know. And like eight eight months after Claros 
came up to this conclusion that this token was scam and had to be rejected. So eight months after that, you know, the Chinese regulator, we read uh, uh, news from China, you know, the uh, members of Project X uh, have been arrested because of some Ponzi behavior or like fraudland or whatever. You know, Kleros, like, figure out what was going on with that project, like, eight months before the authorities. So how many people were scammed during those eight months? Uh, and, and how many, like, money could have been saved if, you know, we had some instance of Kleros, you know, if there was like kind of a, maybe a partnership of a regulator and Kleros in order to very quickly detect projects that are, you know, are high risk projects, right? Um, so in this way, Kleros acts as a kind of real time private regulator for this emerging ecosystem of, of tokens and of scams that it's becoming very, very hard for, for like traditional financial regulators to, to follow up um, with all of the you know, thousands of projects being born every day, right? So Big time. This is yeah. actually where Kleros is actually working now and producing value for, for users. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. So if we think about it, essentially the entire financial industry, no matter where you are in the world, is now in the beginning stages of trans transforming over to this new world. It's going to take a while, depending on where you are. Um, you're talking about even, you know, your native currency will eventually switch over, but all your stocks, all your bonds, all of your assets, anything and everything from paintings to any collectibles um, are all being transferred over into this environment. So what you are doing, which is fantastic, is the dispute resolution. So if there are problems that people have or actively trying to weed out some of the bad actors in this, which I think is extremely helpful, um, especially with that Uniswap, Uniswap decentralized exchange, which which there's a bunch of decentralized exchanges these days. Um, but that certainly helps with this. So how, how do you see all of this working in collaboration with uh, regulation? Like where do governments come down with the online dispute resolution as it applies to you know their their comfort i guess i think that governments um so governments have already been trying to um uh, i don't want to use the word outsource but you know yeah we could say outsource some of parts of the dispute resolution you know arbitration clauses in like uh, services uh, credit cards or like uh, you know consumer uh, claims and all that like courts you know traditional courts are overwhelmed uh, right, and they like they they can't really be solving like small claims, and especially they are going to be as the economy becomes more and more global, and you know we have more cases where like you know we have uh, the Alice and Bob uh, software contract uh, between countries or you know a team of uh, twenty people like uh, developing a product. Uh, like Kleros, Kleros is distributed, the team is everywhere and, you know, and the people who back the project is like everywhere, you know, it's crowd, crowdfunding, right? And so this is uh, you, the, the, the kind of the native jurisdiction for, for all these claims and all these problems are, is the internet. You know, that's something that I guess Nick Sabot saw in the 90s, very, very yeah. early days. And when he had this idea of smart contract, you know, uh, fine, you know, legal systems as we know them, they work great for, you know, Westphalian peace and the industrial revolution, and they work great for uh, some evolution of society. Okay, the network age brings a different set of problems, a different set of challenges. Um, so, and traditional legal systems are not really 
like uh, well technologically adapted to this right so i guess what's going to what we're going to see more and more in the future is uh, collaboration between public and private actors you know Cleros is a private actor that's um, that's going to to help governments uh, resolve a number of, of problems that governments because of how they are built from a technical perspective even cannot really solve you know as this decentralized finance token economy where the, the native jurisdiction for this is the internet and you need some infrastructure for securing property rights that is basically like native to the internet as well yeah so i'm, I'm kind of curious like when you meet with uh attorneys in the us or lawyers around the world in the uk how do you explain or what do you talk about with them in terms of the impact of these types of things are you you know cautious about because it can be somewhat um not intimidating but make people pull back and saying all right is this going to affect the way that I do my job and how I interact with individuals or what type of business I'll be able to pull in through my clients. How do you explain that? How do you go through that with them? Um, I guess the, the, well, I, well I, I, I'm not a lawyer um, and well, I interact with lots of lawyers, of course. And um, I guess um, lawyers have this, well, of course, they have been trained for, you know, more for risk management and avoiding risk than risk taking, you know, and, you know, this may be, you know, um, in general, they are quite, yeah, they, they are intimidated by, not, not just by Claros, but by all of this, you know, new kind of infrastructure of, you know, legal, you know, technology. And many of them, they don't believe it. They, 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 they just don't, don't believe it in the same way that, you know, I guess a record company didn't believe like, uh, you know, peer-to-peer networks would, like, put them out of business or, you know, um, kind of AOL mentality. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, also, uh, others, other lawyers, um, and I don't want to make the distinction by age because I, I found, like, you know, all lawyers who, like, get it and young lawyers don't get it. But, uh, you know, I think that lawyers are starting to see that, yeah, okay, look, everything that happened, you know, to the media industry, to the, like, taxis and, you know, the Uberization of taxi industry and, you know, <laughs> hotels and Airbnb, you know, yeah, okay, you know, um, this happened to lots of these professions, you know. Are we so sure that um, this is not going to happen to us, right? Um, and uh, I kind of, um, also I can see um, an evolution since the early days. I was telling you I started with thinking about the ideas of what Claros is now in 2014, 2015, more or less. Um, and that was like, yeah, back then, imagine, you know, an Argentinian guy coming uh, to tell you that, you know, law is going to change. And uh, yeah, it's going to be done in blockchain and it's going to work completely differently than what you know. People didn't believe it, of course. But, you know, uh, there's one thing that I, that Colin Rule once told me. Uh, I think that when Colin Rule, as you know, he was the, he built the digital solution system at, at eBay and and you know PayPal and then founded Moldria, and he mentioned this this uh, sentence uh, quoted by I think it was Gandhi, but I don't I don't know if it's really Gandhi, but people typically say it's Gandhi. We'll pretend, no, yes. First, yeah, first they first they I don't remember. First they laugh at you, then they ignore you, then they fight you, and then you win. 
you know. And, you know <laughs> yeah. And Colin Rule has been for me a, a mentor in this, and he was telling you know, you know, you move forward, you keep because you're on the right, you're 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 doing the the good fight, and you are going into the direction where you know uh, the technology, and not just the technology, you know, the economy is going, and. Uh, and you know, people don't may not get it, and they may laugh at you now. But you know, now they don't laugh anymore. Now they are in the stage where they ignore <laughs> ignore us. <laughs> uh, hopefully, we, we will not have the part where they fight us, uh, and then well, and then we hopefully we all win, right? But and I, I always say also is that it's a lot of this work I do is also about communication, about explaining to to lawyers and to uh, government officials and to you know uh, everyone that uh, what we're doing is uh, that they need to adapt and that, and that things are not going to be as bad as some think but that they are, but also that they are not going to stay the same that they always were right um, and lots of my work is well speaking I did podcast with you Joe is a great way to, to reach this audience and so they can learn about what's coming. And also lots of the talks we, we've done in the context of the incubator at Thomson Reuters and also lots of the, well, uh, talks I give uh, for lawyer you know, associations in the US, everywhere, basically, right? So kind of, and this and this is not only about Kleros, this is also about, you know, Kleros is just one little part of the legal transformation, the digital transformation of, of law, right? This is... Uh, a, there is also machine learning and, you know, all of the things that you always uh, discuss, uh, but Kleros is just one little part of this transformation of society. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. It's it's a fascinating time because uh, for better, I've been in the industry for now, I hate dating myself for 15 years. And it's bonkers to think about it because when I met with law firms, like their CIOs and chief CTOs and Managing partners 15 years ago, they're like, yeah, technology is great. It's important, but it's not at all something that's front and center. You know, within the last five years, maybe a little bit longer, it's changed dramatically. So you actually have like partners leaning into conversations. They are actively reaching out and saying, hey, can you come in? Can you talk about this technology or that technology, how it's going to impact both the business and the practice of what we're doing? And that's totally changed. I mean, I think people are more and more into the idea, though, as conservative as, as maybe the mentality traditionally has been. Um, they're starting to move in the direction of embracing. But it, I mean, some of this stuff is I mean, what you're talking about is amazing because it's the embracing of brand new technology in a way that can transform people's lives. And it's also access to justice. So it's giving people an opportunity to participate and be heard through a system that is much easier than maybe, you know, let's say you're in some part of, uh, I don't know, you're, let's say you're in Ethiopia or something like that, and it's it's four hours to get to the courts. Now maybe you don't need to do that. Maybe you can go through an online dispute resolution uh, using your, your flip phone because you have access to that um, and there's better service in that space. I, mean, I was talking about this with the World Bank recently, a few people, and it's really made it sort of like a jump of technology. So people maybe didn't, they didn't have computers, but now they can use it through their phones, which are less expensive every day. Um, I mean, all of this is starting to come and hit a, a center and it's really starting to branch out, which is neat, but it's also a little alarming at points too. <laughs> 
So, but you know, you know that that's a really good point that you bring up because think of this guy in Ethiopia, or in Buenos Aires, right? Like, um, imagine like me, for example, and this comes back to my story. Um, like the, the 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 fact of me like being able to live in Buenos Aires still and you know lead a team of people who are in France, in Canada, in you know Brazil, in Norway, in Singapore, twenty people. Now this is like mind blowing. Uh, this this was impossible. Like uh, you know, ten years ago, right? Yeah. And this and blockchain. You know, we, we first got um, you know the internet, and we started to like learn uh, YouTube, and then and could buy any book, and we didn't we didn't need to go to you know Harvard Library or <laughs> uh, you know Stanford. You know, we just could like learn with our hard work, get access to all of that knowledge. You know, now crypto brings us the way. The, yeah, a way to now start transacting and start participating in the world economy. And, you know, Kleros is producing this infrastructure that will help people like the guy in Ethiopia or the guy in Buenos Aires now to sell its knowledge, its services to the guy in the U.S. or in Germany or in whatever, because now the guy in the U.S., he can use smart contracts to uh, hire the guy in Ethiopia. And uh, if the guy in Ethiopia doesn't comply with the, what he promise so he doesn't get the money right and so this 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 is a, a, a infrastructure that is being born now based on blockchain that is uh, it's really transforming the world and and you know uh, and this is what my passion you know having these tools like helping these people who are very smart but they were like just not lucky to be born in the right place and they don't get yeah. to, they can't get a visa to work in the right places but they still want to do it and they still have the hard work to put in no, it, it honestly it's it is an amazing time i mean though there are still significant problems around the world no matter where you are and that's completely understood the the opportunity the potential the potential just based on how much knowledge there is out there that you can get from just youtube if you're able to watch a youtube video if you're lucky enough to be able to do that just to be able to learn these things and see more about what's out there uh, is certainly helpful. Um, Federico, hey, this has been amazing, enlightening, and I've loved the conversation. I truly appreciate you taking the time to uh, to sit here and, and speak with me today. It's been great. Joe, it was great speaking to you uh, as always, and hopefully we will meet soon at, uh, at a conference some, somewhere in the world if, if travel is allowed again someday. Well, my hope is that it's going to be in Argentina, in the Men in Mendoza, is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're definitely going to, to the wine country, Mendoza, and have some my back together. The Hearing. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Hearing as much as I've enjoyed hosting it today. Please join me for our exciting upcoming episodes where amazing people and their remarkable stories meet the cross-section of the law and technology. If you would like, please give us a rating. Feel free to review us and subscribe to the podcast. That way you'll be notified of new episodes as they come out. Also, if you would like to connect with me on Twitter, it's at Joe Raz. That's J-O-E-R-A-Z-Z. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. The Hearing, a legal podcast from Thomson Reuters. To find out more, go to tr.com forward slash the hearing or subscribe via iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.